What's up, podcast world? Chad, back at you. Another episode of the Foul Life Podcast. Today's episode, again, is brought to you by our friends at Gerber Gear. Check them out. Stay sharp, America. Everywhere we go, we got an axe or shears or a saw, a folding knife, a straight blade knife. We have to have our knives on us. We're Americans. We like to cut things up. We like to eat the meat that we harvest. We're hunters and gatherers and providers. So Gerber supports the lifestyle of the American hunter, the American conservationist, the American fisher. And you can find any folding blade or straight blade or any of the aforementioned products that I just talked about on their website or in any retail outlet across the country. Thank you, Gerber, so much. Today's episode of the Foul Life Podcast is also brought to you by our friends out of the great state of Wyoming, Hi-Viz, Sites, Light Pipe Technology. They make myself, our crew here at the Foul Life and Banded, better shotgunners, better pistol shooters, handgun shooters, defense shooters, defending our homes, our families, or hunting ducks and geese or pheasant or quail or chuckers. We love what they do for our vision getting on target, staying on target, transitioning from our first target to our second to our third target. Maybe your fourth or fifth if you're hunting chuckers in the mountains of Idaho or Nevada, but Hi-Viz has what you need for your Benelli or any of the other shotgun manufacturers out there, your pistols. My guest today is product designer and site guru. This man knows it all when it comes to Hi-Viz. Trevor, how are you, buddy? I'm doing good. How you doing? Good. You look good, man. You just like you like you got my haircut going on. You got the beard going on. Yep. You got a bunch of dead ducks and geese behind you. <laughs> yep, absolutely. So the the word on the streets is is that you not only hunt these birds, but you mount them all too. These are your these are your creations. I'm looking at. I do. Yeah. It uh, uh, started out as a uh, well. You probably know as well as I do. Anybody that has taken anything to not to not to you know uh say anything about those taxidermists out there but they're busy taxidermists are busy they check you mean, up you work them, and it takes you mean you give them to get your, back to you yeah you get your deposit into them and then two years later the deposit's been spent and you still don't have anything to show for it exactly so i uh you know, got uh, a little too anxious to get some of my mounts back and just started doing it myself. Taught yourself? Yep. I like it. Which, What's your... which is a, can be a bad thing, you know, because I got, I don't know, I got about, you can't see them all behind me, but I got about 30 some behind me and I got more around the house. So, so it ends up being a, you know, two or three of every species, you know. So are you, do you have some currently in the works in the garage right now? I do actually. Uh, well, I got, I got a couple, uh, I got a pair of redhead drakes, really prime, actually the, probably the two nicest drakes I've ever shot that I got them out. And is it safe to say that mounting a duck and making it come to life and be very realistic is more difficult than doing that to, let's say, a deer or an elk. Seems to me like that big hide, you fit it over the mold and you get the eyes. I mean, I know there's talent in the nostrils and the painting and the eyeballs and, and making it all come together, but ducks seem like they would be so meticulous. I started doing ducks first. That was the first thing I started doing. I do, you know, big game and, and you know, a lot of other small game now. Uh, I mean, I, you know, of course, anything I do for myself or any, any of my text or me, I'm not myself. Uh, there's probably a couple birds back here that I had mounted right before I started, but 
so I might say maybe there's, uh, I use reference photos more on big game than I do in ducks, but I would say that, uh, you know, with ducks, since it's always the whole animal, pretty much, um, there's a lot of detail to, uh, the shape of the form, whether they're flying or sitting, uh, you know, and you're, and you're always going back for several days after you get the mount put together, you're always going back and making adjustments, preening feathers. And I mean, you can just, you can just keep adjusting things really, you know, for three, four weeks until it starts to dry. So there's, there's definitely a lot of, um, detail. And, and the beauty is, is you don't, it doesn't all get done the first day or right when you make the, the mount, you can go back and adjust things and really, really make it uh, lifelike. And I'm, I'm not an expert, but you know, I mean, you know, it's, uh, it's good. It's, <laughs> so it's a learning experience. I mean, I probably mounted, I don't know, 250 ducks, something ducks and geese, stuff like that. So are uh, you commercial so, or you just do it for buddies or what do you do? Yeah, I do it. I do it for friends. You know, once, you know, any, anybody finds out, uh, you know, you can do something they can't, you know, of course they want you to <laughs> want to see if you can do it for them. So yeah, I do. I do, uh, uh, a little bit of big game. Of course, all my kids, I got to mount all their stuff too. So, I like it, dude. How how many have you thrown away once you started them and didn't see something you liked? Or didn't know? You've never um, thrown one away? Yeah. Nope. The very first bird I did, uh, I don't think I have anymore. And it, it was it was pretty bad. I made a couple uh, mistakes in skinning it. Uh, but, and, and I started with, it was a Drake shoveler or, I mean, a, a hand shoveler that I started with first bird. And I thought, well, I'll just mount this, you know, it's no, no big deal if it doesn't go well. Uh, after I got about the first five birds done, I said, I, I'm, I think I'm done. I don't think I'm going to do anymore. So, and of course that turned out not to be true. So taxidermy is, is pretty forgiving. Uh, I have never attempted to mount anything I couldn't repair, uh, to the point where with a duck, you can replace a whole wing. It's really not that big a deal, honestly. And I used to, I don't have as many now, but I used to keep several birds, you know, common stuff, you know, uh, mallard drake or whatever in the freezer, just four parts. You know, if you shoot a whole speculum off of a duck and you want to mount them, we can replace that. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty interesting really what you, and you can fix a lot of stuff. And what is your current role at Hivis? Well, Boy, that's a good question. So, uh, you know, when I started, I was more or less customer service. And of course, you know, uh, trade shows and this and the site testing and the catalog. I've always been involved with that. But I've moved a, a, along a lot. I still do a lot of those things or, or, or oversee them. But I've moved really heavily into, into the OEM side. So dealing with all our OEM customers. And both the site development and testing and new product development is, is probably really where all my focus is now. So how do you go from a customer service position to product design? Is it because of your know-how and your wherewithal of knowing the brand and being there for so many years that you've you developed insight and in what should go into the sites? Or have you always have had, you're a taxidermist, and that's why I transitioned into this, is you have design, you have artistic value in what you do, your mind thinks like that. Did you always have the ability to design a site that like what you're doing now? Well, so my background prior to, to uh, working here is I was an automotive technician for years. Uh, I was also 
almost everybody in my family is a machinist. So I actually grew up in a machine shop machining. Um, and, uh, I'm, I'm a infantry bat. Um, so, and I'm a gun nut. I, uh, that is really probably the, the bigger part of it. So I've been reloading, uh, since I started reloading and shooting when I was 16, uh, and, uh, have been interested in both, you know, I, I wouldn't call as far as to call myself a gunsmith. Um, uh, you know, I just call myself a hobbyist, you know, it's safer that way. Then I don't get in trouble <laughs> that way. Nobody can claim I was a gunsmith, but, but I've been, you know, building, you know, some rifles and repairing guns and doing stock work and stuff and all this, you know, for years and years. So when I came to the company, um, I mean, I, uh, me and our engineer, Brad, we are, we are both and, and, uh, you know, I hate to sometimes make claims about yourself, but I, I am certainly probably the most gun knowledgeable person in the company. Uh, you know, Rick Moore, our old VP, you know, who's a, you know, excellent shotgun instructor and truly a gun person. Um, he, he even admitted on a couple of times that I, I best him in all categories of firearms. So I guess it's just a, it's really that now, now with that, I would also say, uh, both from Rick uh, you know, a couple of our engineers, Brad uh, Kent, a uh, former engineer, I have learned a tremendous amount about uh, the gun industry, guns, sites. Uh, since I've been here, I've been here 14 years uh, come January. Uh, so I think it's really all of that, um, that, that I, I was always interested in the manufacturing side of it. I uh, have an interest in, you know, say problem solving or trying to make things better, uh, or, or, or test them or develop them and, and, and really prove them out. What is the, I want to get into the nuts and bolts of the site and the optics of shotgunning. What is the no brainer things that you would tell somebody if you're standing in a high vis booth that let's say, national wild turkey convention and there's a lot of duck hunters coming through a lot of sporting clay enthusiasts turkey hunters what are the the no-brainers trevor like what they need to know about what they're going to get with an aftermarket light pipe technology site from hive is well i was a a very novice shotgunner when i came to the company and uh i've increased in my shotgunning skill and really fundamentals of shotgunning a tremendous amount since i've been here and it really kind of put me, I was, I was an avid waterfowler and shotgunner bef before I started here, but I wasn't very successful at it. I wasn't a very good shooter. Uh, so I've gained a lot of knowledge in that area. And uh, it, it kind of has put me on kind of a quest to help people be better shotgun shooters, uh, especially waterfowlers, since, since I do that and really enjoy it. So I would say that, you know, with our sites, you know, and I, and I talk to people about a lot of uh, simple things in shotgunning, and most of those are shotgun fundamentals like pattern your gun. That's important. Um, you can't be successful if your gun doesn't pattern properly for you the way it's fit. <coughs> uh, and then um, sometimes you just lose your train of thought. <laughs> no, you're good. So, uh, yeah, fundamentally, when people call or I talk to them uh, and they're interested in our site, a lot of times they, you know, they want it to make them a better shooter, but a lot of times they want it because they have a fundamental issue like a pattern issue. So, 
you know, I encourage people to pattern their shotguns, practice their mount. But really, at the end of the day, everybody needs to know where that muzzle is in relationship to the target. And that's where our site is going to always help you in low light, uh, you know, in, in early morning, afternoon, but even in the middle of the day, uh, especially when you're doing, uh, you know, either hunting, either waterfowl, upland birds, whatever, but when you're not mounted on the shotgun, that, that site's going to be a tremendous help to help you, you know, your subconscious after a, a short time is going to recognize that fiber optic color. And even before you mount the gun, while you're in your swing, when the gun's moving up, your eye's going to locate that bead and know where the end of the muzzle is. And it's just going to make you a, even good shooters, it's going to make them a faster it's going to make them acquire the target and make a better shot on it. So the guns leaning up against the wall in the blind, you know where the muzzle is at all times. That's a safety deal right there of being able to identify that, that green or that red or that orange or that yellow high-vis sight. Now the birds start working, hand goes onto the forearm, you start to get stand up as the take-em shot's being called. Now your eye easily transitions back to that sight, finding the end of that muzzle, and it and it follows that sight all the way to the shouldering, to the head down on the cheek, to, to mounting the gun, to getting the head down on the cheek pad, to looking down the rib. Get, now the sight's on. Now you've already acquired it. Now that's what you mean by faster, right? Boom, it's there. Now it's just a matter of knowing your lead and your swing, depending on which direction the birds are coming overhead at you going away from you left to right right to left are they back flapping over the decoys where you might not have to lead them as much or any at all the whole experience with the site is from when the gun's leaning up against the wall to when the trigger's pulled and it's put back on safety and put down in a safe position on the wall and everybody can or excuse me identify where that muzzle is again Absolutely. Uh, your subconscious will get so used to seeing that color and it'll be so prominent that it, 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 you know, I don't even know if you could put a percentage, it could be 20, 30, 40% reduction in time for you to do the whole motion of, of, you know, beginning to mount swing, acquire the site, lead the target, pull the trigger. I mean, it's, it's a tremendous help and especially in low light, but not just in low light. And we, we talk to a lot of customers who are say, you know, 50 or older and they're getting older. My eyesight's not so good. And there's no doubt that it's going to be a benefit to them, but, but we should not underplay that this is a benefit to all shooters of all ages, especially well, beginning shooters. Well, if I'm 23 and I've been shooting a shotgun since I was 14, and I'm pretty proficient with it. I'm duck cutting on my own all the time. I love bluebird skies with wind that's the ultimate duck day in my opinion cold temperatures i have to be hunting in the sunshine i don't like overcast or low ceilings or rainy or snowy or sleet day. i'm not saying you won't get them but to see ducks and geese do what they're intended to do i think you need sunshine in my opinion so i know there's arguments around that but my point is why a site if i have all my vision if i don't have a low light conditioner or, sh or any overcast or low ceilings I am very safe with my gun. I hunt with one other person. I don't, I know where my muzzle is at all times. I've never have accidents. Why a site? Why, an, why a hive is? Again, I'm going to go back to it's, it's kind of a subconscious thing that you will get trained and used to it. And let, you know, people will change colors, you know, a red, green, orange, 
uh, depending on, you know, personal preference and possibly background, target color, that type of thing. But it's a distinction between. So if you're, you know, not only does the site work good in overcast and low, uh, low light and, you know, snowy conditions, it, it still lights up beautifully, especially in natural light. But in sunny conditions, it's going to be brighter, but it's going to be a distinction. You know, you're, you're even with a glare shooting into the sun, I'm sure you've probably experienced this. You're still going to see, and your, your mind gets used to, you know, your shooting eye to that dot to the target. So I think it, it, uh, you know, it's not going to, you're not going to lose it with glare and, and odd angles. Uh, I just, it's, it's really a benefit no matter how. The only the only possible downside is on a really bright day, it might almost be too bright sometimes. But uh, <laughs> you know that's a that's not really a big consequence. Do you think that take the subconscious out of it, just the visual part of the site helps you on a sunny day? I think so because I think it's it's again it's it's going to be a it's going to be, you're going to be looking at something that is different from both the target, the background. It's going to be very distinct. It's going to be very bright. So again, the key is, is that your eye is not hunting around because, uh, you know, as well as anybody that it has to be a fluid motion, especially when you're shooting a moving target, like a bird it has to be a fluid motion. If you stop or pause to try to hunt around for the end of the muzzle, you're probably going to miss the shot or the opportunity for the shot. So with a, with a fiber optic sight up there, you're going to see it no matter what. It's going to be very easy to both see that in your peripheral vision, and then you can focus on the target, which is what you need to do. Okay, so let's get in to the nuts and bolts of, let's talk about options. I'm a duck hunter, 100%. I'm not just talking about me personally. I'm just saying I'm a customer that walks up to you. I like to hunt ducks and geese. I hunt out of a boat, but I also hunt dry fields. So I'm over water and dry land. I shoot a 12 gauge Benelli. What would you recommend right now in 2020 for a waterfowl hunter, knowing that you have, you know, I've utilized and I'm just talk, talking like before I purchased this, I would, I would assume that you guys have more options than just one site for a waterfowl hunter. Myself personally, I've shot them all. I know what my favorites are and what my go-tos are, but what would you talk about in product design? How does that end consumer go about picking the right site? What do you recommend, Trevor? And do they get a couple different ones to switch on and off? Tell me how that buying experience should go for a duck hunter. Well, we have a fairly large selection of shotgun sites, uh, which can be both a blessing and a curse. Uh, there's a lot of options. Uh, I try to simplify it for the customer if I can. At the end of the day, there, you can't go wrong with any one you pick. Uh, so generically, we have two types of sites. We have a magnetic site, which, as you would assume, magnetically attaches to the rib right behind your factory bead, very easy to install. And then we have screw attached sites or that are a more permanent attachment, and you'd remove your factory bead and they'll thread in in place of it. Generally, with waterfowl hunters, since they're going to be and sometimes upland bird hunters suffer the same same problem, but they're going to be in in potentially in a blind, whether it's a, a a boat, you know, or a built blind or a layout blind, where they may be contacting the muzzle with something brush or that type of thing. 
So generally, I will I will try to steer them towards a screw attached site, a little more permanent, so they're not going to lose it, uh, and uh, it's going to stay on there. So with that, again, they could use any of them. The difference in our screw attached sites, it, you know, really starts with their both their size and the options, whether they have interchangeable colors, different sizes, that type of of choices. Um, but by default, I would always steer them to our comp site. Uh, the comp site was our, our first uh, OEM screw attached site that Browning started using almost 24 years ago. I consider that our flagship product. It has red, and, red green, and white uh, inserts. They come in different diameters. You know, so if your preference is a fine bead, and I think, I think shooters that uh, uh, put on a fiber optic generally migrate to a smaller bead the more they use it. You know, at first they want a big bold dot, but then I think generally, I know I've done this and a lot of people, uh, a lot of customers I talk to have, they'll start migrating down to a smaller bead, bead because they don't, they don't need it to be as big and bold. And, and then the smaller it is, it doesn't obscure the targeted distance as easy. Um, I talked to there Phil. There are a lot of fowlers that use magnetic sites, but occasionally just from the rough use, magnetic site is removable, so they'll lose them. But uh, for upland shooters, magnetic sites are a normal choice. They can get them a lot of times in the area they're hunting, attach them to their gun with no work, no tools at all. Do you, I just had, I just took a note because I was writing down to touch on this. I, I wanted to let you finish was I talked to Mr. Phil and that was my words verbatim pretty much was I started out with the bird buster and then, you know, the, con, the, the, mag, the magna hunter. And I was always like, bigger is better. Longer is better. The circumference I need it. And then when the comp site gets on my gun, I'm like, man, I like this. One, you touched on it before. I, I, I'm in and out of floating gun cases a lot. The Magnus, the Magna Hunter is an awesome target, or the Bird Buster is an awesome sight. I mean, and can come on and off of your shotgun with magnetic ease. But it tends to pull off sometimes if you're not careful when it gets caught up on fabric in a gun case or a gun safe or whatever. So it's always a good idea to keep that travel case handy and take it off after the hunt, put it in there, and then reapply it. In my opinion, I still love those sights. But why? Why do we? mature towards the smaller bead when you already said when we start to get in into our 50s i'm in my mid 40s I, I don't feel like i'm losing my eyesight yet but i still like i'm going to a smaller it should be the opposite like if you're losing your eyesight you should want a magnetic site or something that's illuminated with that light pipe technology to be bigger but now you're telling me that as we shoot more and experience these sites more that we migrate to a smaller site why do you think that is well, I think uh, a couple of reasons. I think, uh, um, and it, it, you know, it's a, a, a quality of shotgunning fundamentals thing for starters. Uh, if people shoot, if they're committed to shotgunning for whatever reason, whether it's target shooting or, or you know, bird hunting or whatever, uh, they should be committed to the art of it and improving their fundamentals. So if you have a good shotgun mount and you know, I mean, we all get lazy on occasion on a shot or whatever, and especially waterfowl hunters, because we have to shoot, you know, standing, sitting, laying down at all types of angles. So we really have to watch our fundamentals, I think. But but if your fundamentals are good, then you don't need as as bold of a reference to the muzzle is is the way I would say it. And that 
again, the fiber optic is such a contrast to anything you're seeing in your sight picture that you want it smaller so that it's not as imposing on the target. And especially uh, while waterfowlers can be in the same position as a, as a sporting clay shooter, we can have a driven target or a crossing target or uh, any number of, of situations uh, where they're at distance, uh, you know, say 35, 40 yards. And it's just, I, I think the more you use it, you want it to be a little less imposing and you don't need it to be as bold. The more you use it. I think so. Yeah, first, I think what you're saying is exactly the perception everybody wants is that it can't be big enough. It can't be bright enough. But I think the more you use it, the more comfortable you get with it. Not only does I think it helps your fundamentals be better, you know, because you you got such a distinct uh, line of sight when you use a fiber optic sight. So I think it helps your mount. I think it helps your fundamentals. Uh, and it definitely makes you more successful. But I think the more you use it, the less. It, and it's not the brightness or intensity. It's the diameter that you want it to be a little less imposing on the target for size. That seems to be normal. Does it go the same way um, in all instances of the sites as far as sporting clay, plinking around, home defense? Do people start to migrate that way? traditionally in all senses of the site use maybe in a general way but i think i think where the you know wanting to migrate to somewhat smaller diameter um and like say i I, you know maybe we didn't emphasize it but it's not the intensity that we're we're decreasing it's just the diameter uh i think it for me at least it, it really has to do with distance of target you know if you're shooting clays clays are not that big you know it's it's not uh, a clay is a lot smaller, smaller than a goose at 25 yards. You know, obviously, even though, you know, we, we should be, you know, shooting heads and not bodies, but still, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a small target. So it's that obscuring the target type of thing um, where with say home defense, it really might kind of be the opposite. You know, we might be talking extreme low light conditions, you know, where uh, the bigger the fiber and the more surface area that's on the fiber, so the longer it is, the bigger diameter, the brighter it will be with the available light. So, and we make a lot of products that, that vary greatly in both their length, the diameter, the surface area, the brightness of the site. And they they certainly have specific uses that are uh, favored. And when you start, when you go back to the hunting scenario of the site, Trevor, when you, when you start talking about the the combinations of color now when i talked to phil he said you know it's pretty much a preference do you see it that way as being and an, and you hunt way more waterfowl than mr phil does you hunt as much as i do do you find yourself gravitating towards one color always if you're hunting and like what mr phil said if you're hunting in a a, a backdrop that's got a bunch of trees and green in it do you go to a red to differentiate your backdrop to your sight and the end of your muzzle or are you just stuck on one color and that's what you're comfortable with and you can get what you need out of a high-vis product with the one color uh well you are right that ultimately it comes down to personal preference but uh, there are, you know, if we're early season waterfowling where it's really green, early teal season, something like that, or down south, you know, I mean, I hunt, you know, in Colorado. So 
you know, by the time we get into to waterfowl season, you know, there's not a lot of green around, so it's not an issue. But if we were hunting, you know, in, in Texas, Louisiana, something like that, uh, early season, it might be a real issue. Uh, but generically, outside of personal preference or background uh, color, uh, trying to distinguish a target, uh, the human eye has a spectrum of visible light that we can see. And the, uh, the frequency of visible light the human eye can see the best in all light conditions is right in, we would call it green, and you know, kind of a fluorescent green, fluorescent yellow area, uh, about like 520 nanometer, 530 nanometer. That is the color the eye sees the best. So there's a good argument to be made that that green is going to be normally your best choice. But I do use red on occasion. I, I'm kind of partial green. And, and then for some sites, we have orange. And I do like orange. And I'll use orange on occasion. But if you just left green in, I don't think... I think it'd be a rare circumstance. Uh, you know, maybe sporting clay shooters, especially ones that shoot in the trees, uh, might have a lot more difficulty with it. Why would you use orange and when? Well, I like orange because it looks like fall. <laughs> and to me, fall means getting out in the woods, you know, whether it's waterfowling or Have you been caught with a bunch of pumpkins, Trevor? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> orange might be my favorite. I have to admit, but but orange is, is closer to green in the spectrum of light. So red is a a fairly high frequency color and it's a little more difficult. It's way more difficult for the eye to perceive red than people might think uh, if, if they don't know. Orange is much closer to green. So if I, for me, if we offer orange for a site, um, the green and orange would always be my choices, my first choices to alternate between if I need a different color. And, and we make, it might be about half and half, half of our shotgun sites have orange available, half don't. Uh, but I mean, red's not a not a bad choice. It's not that you can't see it. It's just green is always going to be the brightest color. Why not purple? Why not chartreuse? Why not pearl blue, aqua blue? Why don't you give the Crayola color crayons assortment to the American public or the world public that uh, that nobody you know everybody has their their preference in colors? Why are the colors that are the 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 green, the orange, the red, the yellow? Why are those the ones that you make available through High Viz? That's a great question. So what we generically call our sites fiber optic, and so do most of the other companies. Uh, Fiber optic is not necessarily a, a material, it's more of a property. So it's the ability of the fiber to, you know, both kind of trap and direct light to the end of the fiber. So the, the fibers that we provide with our sites, we actually injection mold them. And uh, that allows us to do some very unique things. We allow, allows us to make different shapes. <clears throat> Uh, extremely odd shapes, like in our Trivis site, where the rear site has two triangles, that is actually a one-piece light pipe molded almost in a circle. So it allows us to, you know, get some really unique features that gather a lot of light and give you some uh, uh, different shapes and things that, you, you know, you can aid you in aiming. Now, with that, we have tried other colors, and some of them, at least in our material and the way we do it, do not transmit light. Uh, so we've tried, one of the colors we've tried in the past is blue. And I've not completely given up on it. 
because blue is generally one of the colors that people that are, and I guess I'll say this generically, colorblind can normally see. So I'm still wanting to try to do a blue, but we did a blue in the past and it just didn't commit it. It just didn't transmit light. Now we have done pink in the, in the past, uh, kind of an orange red, uh, some other colors, but generally I think that, you know, between green, orange, and red, uh, you've, you've probably covered most any need of the customer. Uh, they may have a preference for another color just because they like it, but I don't know that there'd be a benefit to it. <clears throat> is there ever going to be such thing as a custom shop with your ability to machine and and direct you know to create this carbon fiber or the carbon and 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 the light pipe technology would you guys ever have a custom shop for somebody to come and test to see what their eye draws to or is it always going to be the consensus of here's our offering and this is what's going to wrap in most of the people uh, do you mean like like color or the type of fiber or application yeah. or I would say mainly the type of fiber and the color like all of that to where they could come in and customize their site um, application I think you guys have that covered but I think that there might be more people off to say well what what I'm not saying that there ever would but if there was a chance that somebody would want something different they might be like well I don't want a green site I want to I wanted this color site like I need purple right like I don't know would there ever be that opportunity or is it something to where it would you because like when somebody comes to my duck call shop they want a custom call we can engrave their logo on it we can change the color of the acrylic real quick is it is it that simple for a high-vis manufacturing process uh if, if we could create a color that a customer wanted, uh, you know, and, and probably not an individual customer, because from the standpoint of that we mold these, we have to mold thousands at a time. But it's really more of a difficulty of getting the right combination. And the way we make our fibers being proprietary, of course, uh, there are certain colors or color spectrums that, that don't transmit light well. Uh, so, you know, we're kind of we're stuck with the... Uh, uh, you know, the physics of it on that end. Um, but as far as custom stuff, I'd say the, the stuff we get the most call for are different applications, especially handguns and then different heights or that type of thing. I don't know that we'll ever get to that. Uh, but possibly, but, but as far as product development features and things we do, we definitely listen to customers and we have a lot of both sites and features that are implementations of, of, you know, not, not, not necessarily just a single input, but many, many different uh, areas of input, like our pro staff, uh, OEM companies, uh, customer reply. So we definitely listen to the customer base and try to react to that. And what, um, application of installation, is there anything intimidating about any of this? to a guy that might or a guy or a girl that might not have any gunsmith knowledge um not very handy like myself people accuse me of not being a very handy feller right trevor they don't think i'm very handy um is there any intimidation factor to the the swap out process obviously the magnetic sites pretty self-explanatory but there is the process of making sure that you pull one of the sites out replace it with a different color um talk to a little bit about the installation part of it yeah, I think there is an intimidation factor. And, you know, we do often talk in the company that uh, the difficulty with our product is really education. 
it, it, there's a lot of choices. Matter of fact, before I came to the company, I actually went down to my local sportsman's warehouse and looked for a shotgun bead because I was having trouble seeing the bead early morning waterfowling. And I'll be honest, I looked at a lot of fiber optic types sites, ours and, you know, competitors. And I was very confused and I left without one that day because of it. I didn't know what I needed. So I've tried to keep that a focus over the years that I've been here. And I try to uh, convey as much as we can to both, you know, dealers, distributors, and then just to the customer themselves and try to educate them to make the right choice. We always encourage them to call us. Uh, we're happy to talk with them, help them make a site selection. But we also try to continually make, well, both through our partners like you, uh, you're helping us with that education. You know, every time you shoot or every time you do a, a podcast or a video uh, or a show. Uh, but we also like to put a lot of content on our website too and show people how to use the sites, how to change them, how to install them. It's really not that difficult, even if you're not a handy person. I think most people can do it. Uh, but we've really tried to make a commitment to try to help people and educate them and take the intimidation factor out of it. Um, when you talk about the actual, how we started this, shotgunning as a whole, in a rifle, there's a lot of these courses out there of the breathing and the ballistics and the windage and the scopes and the crosshairs and the yardage. And I mean, this, this long range shooting has taken a whole new life in the last seven, eight, you know, maybe decade, right? Um, military has been doing it for years shotgunning um tom knapps the bradley's the guys that were the trick shooters there's been schools of thought out there on that there's been instruction out there there's you can go to an instructional course for shotgunning just like you can at the pro shop for golf or down out in the driving range or whatever what is it about the mechanics of shotgunning that along with the overall success of your waterfowl hunt trevor meaning um do you need to be practicing every day in the off season? Is it something that's like riding the bike, the mechanics and the actual application of getting that gun, becoming one with that gun, making it a part of your body and understanding vision and shooting with both eyes open. And, 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 you know, you got to add in all the safety stuff for eyes and hearing and all of that. I get that, but I don't, pra I told Mr. Phil, I don't practice that much. And when I do go onto the sporting clay range, I suck. And I'm talking 68 to 74, maybe. Don't take it too serious. Don't take it too serious. My adrenaline doesn't get going. My hunt IQ doesn't get going. I enjoy it. I love the camaraderie of it. But then when I get into a hunt situation and a spec does this or a spec does that and a sprig does this and a mallard drake does that, I feel so comfortable with my muscle memory and my shotgunning skills. And I've never been educated on it. I've been educated and right. I've been educated in handgun and i feel way more proficient with a handgun because of my instruction through through john shaw and, and his son houston at shaw shooting um i don't know if you know those guys but they're pretty freaking amazing in idaho um but shotgunning has always come to me as more of a an athletic form of shooting to where you don't sit in the scope for a long time it's like grab it swing it boom keep it swinging breathing all that it's almost like catching a football pass or hitting a baseball to me a very fluent athletic designed way of shooting a gun way more so than pistols where you're sitting there 
trying to aim at a target. And I'm not saying that there aren't activities or events that you can do like three gun and everything, but shotgunning in the hunting scenario just seems so athletic to me. Does that make sense to you? And why does it come natural to some and others struggle with it and struggle with it? Do they need to go get instruction or is it something that just repetition is going to fix that? I, I agree with I said, that. I said a lot, but I'm trying yep. to get it out there that shotgunning to me is like, it's so natural to me. It feels like, but maybe it's because I do it so much, but I only do it for three to four months out of the year. Really? Right. Well, no, you, yeah, you hit on a lot of very important things and you're right that shotgunning uh, and, and when we say shotgunning, we should say whether it's pre-mounted or, or low mount type situation, we're talking about shooting, moving targets, you know, not using it with a sight set, like for deer hunting or something that's, that's different, but you're right. It is a hand-eye coordination, just like hitting a baseball. Exactly. But with that, you know, people who, uh, are good hitters, some of them are naturally good. Some of them really have to work to maintain their level of skill. But there's no doubt that whether they they do it or maintain it naturally, there are fundamentals to it. And with shotgunning, I would say, first off, is your mount. You know, you want to have a shotgun that's that's fit properly and that your mount is good, that the gun comes to you. It comes to your shoulder and your cheek at the same time. You're not, you're not contorting yourself or bringing yourself to the gun. Also, you should pattern it because guns don't fit people the same. You know, I mean, I'm a I'm five nine. You know, a six four guy that's three hundred pounds, he's going to need a different stock adjustment than I will. Um, guns on the shelf are made for your average guy. You and you and I might fall more into that category of average people. Uh, and then keep your head down on the stock and follow through. I think really those you know. So if your guns pattern, if you have a decent mount, you keep your head down and you follow through. Probably you're going to be successful. Should people seek instruction for that if they feel like they would like to absolutely. I would encourage anyone to seek instruction uh, because I, I don't think uh, you know there are certainly people that are true naturals. Uh, but shotgunning is a depreciable skill, like any shooting. But I agree with you that it may it may not go away in the same manner that other skills would be, like typing. You know, if you don't type for ten years, your speed isn't going to be there. But you could ride a bicycle still. Now you're going to ride a bicycle a little. Matter of fact, I, I've been on bikes here lately and uh, without riding them regularly for a while. And it, it, yeah, it takes a mile to get, get going on a bike. But yeah, I, I think for us, you know, wing shooting, I know I definitely am not as good in the beginning, but I, I, I don't know if you're this way, but I am. That if I have too much time to analyze a shot, is usually when I mess it up. You know, when I have fast crossers come in, uh, uh, you know, or driven birds or something, and and I got to get on them quick. I got to do it in one fluid motion like we should, you know, get the gun up, swing, track that bird, boom, shoot them. I don't have time to think about what the distance is or what kind of lead I should put on. I'm usually more successful. So uh, I might be a better natural shot than I am a fundamental <laughs> shot. Yeah. The worst thing I can do on sporting clay event is go up there and have them give me the test run, you know, like, yeah, I want to see one. Yep. Every time I do that, I just play mind tricks and head games on myself until exactly. it's my turn to shoot. If I just go up there and go pull and I, and I just spot it like it's a duck that comes out, you know, that come into my sight picture, I'm just boom. And I still miss once, you know, more often than not, but I just, I don't think about it. I'm, I am such a, an instinctual shooter of, 
when I see ducks do what they do, I'm always visualizing. Visualizing is a huge part of success in anything that we do in life. Um, hitting a baseball, you have to visualize the ball might be on the outer half of the plate. I'm gonna let it get deep. I'm gonna hit, you know, let it, you know, hit it to the opposite field. I'm visualizing it. in ducks. I'm visualizing. All right, the wind's doing this. My my kill hole here is here. I think the mallards are going to approach and finish right here. It might be seven or eight of them. I think after the first fall, the first go, the first shots fired, they're going to do this. And I, I prepare my mind and my body and my muscle memory to do just that of just like, there they are. Boom. He pulls boom. And I'm just, I feel so fluent when I'm doing that. And I told Mr. Phil that a lot of it has to do with things that we take for granted. Like it's not that it's not that we've become an expert shotgun shooter. It's that we've learned to trust our instincts and our vision. I couldn't go out and do what the late Tom Knapp would do and throw nine in the air and hit them all. I'm not saying that I'm a trick shot, but I can I can rely on my instincts and be able to grab that gun and whoop, just like grabbing that bike and pedal, just like grabbing that baseball bat and seeing the ball and hit the ball where it's pitched. I've learned all that of how to trust my muscle memory, how to trust the way my mind is thinking, and it's when you overthink, but when it, what, what, I'm, what goes into that with the product we're talking about today, Trevor, is that when, when you grab that gun and you can freaking go straight to that bead so easily, it's almost like the ball is in the, in the fattest part of the plate and you're going to hit it with the fattest part of the bat every single time. And that's the difference between shooting a regular side as opposed to the light pipe that Hyvis is producing. When I pick up my gun, I am womb, womb, and it's over. Like I'll shoot three times and kill three ducks or maybe two for three. I'm not going to cripple them. I am going to head shoot them and I'm going to dispatch them quick. Not every time things happen, but that's how proficient I've wanted to become and how I feel I'm becoming because of the system. I I call it a system. Like I told Mr. Phil, the gun, the ammo, the choke tube and the sight. That's my system. Okay. I, I brag about the system we shoot because it is so consistent and the success, the proofs in the pudding. I see it happen every time that, that I'm hunting. And I think that people start to lean on things like, I got to think about this too much. No, go do it without thinking. Get you, pick up your sight, put it on the target. And where I'm transitioning into this, Trevor, is now it's time to transition from that first goose i always tell people you pick one and you shoot at him until he's dead you don't want to shoot at it and then just transition to a second target where you might have crippled that one or you missed him completely and he's getting away but he's still the closest one get him dead and then move on ethically and safety in your shooting zone you know whether you're at wherever you're at in the blind shoot your lane but now, now it's talk, now it's going from that one that's falling to another live one that might be going straight up in the air. It might be trying to get away. It might be trying to get out of there left to right. Now you got to be like, okay, now what? So what? My point is, now here we are, right back, finding that muscle on target, and then uh, and then letting your instincts take over. So now into transitioning from target one to target two and potentially target three is it the same process because the last thing you want to do is muscle up and get tight and and can't swing and can't be fluid and that's where that fluidity and that muscle memory comes in is boom he's done now i'm on to the next bird and now my visualization has given me i know this bird's going to be already because i've already visualized this in my head yeah absolutely and i i know this is true with me and it might be true with you too I love to shoot a shotgun. I'll shoot targets, you know, I'll shoot upland birds, ducks, whatever, but I am truly a waterfowl hunter. So to be honest, when I'm on a sporting clays range or, or on a clays range at all, the targets aren't as big a consequence to me as ducks are when I'm in, in a hunting situation. I am way more committed when I'm hunting 
Uh, it's more serious to me. Uh, maybe why I miss some clays more often than I do uh, a lot of birds. An animal's life. Yes. Yeah. And it's right. We're out there, uh, you know, on a, on a clays range, and this is not to, to, to downplay competition shooters at all, you know, but for me and you, our game is the birds, uh, more so than the clays. Um, but like visualization, you said, anytime I have an opportunity to take more than one bird, whether it, whether they're decoying in, you know, or, or they swing around behind you where you can't see them or something and come over to you, um, you are visualizing, you know, even if it's in milliseconds, you know, okay, this bird may be first and then we'll see what happens after that. So I think, I think the same thing applies. Sometimes you have an opportunity come up where you say those are, there are three birds right there and you're, you, you've already visualized your progression, you know, and I usually start with the, the closest or lowest bird. So I can, you know, with my muzzle or with my recoil, I can work my way up on them. Uh, but let's say you drop one bird, they flare and you're just hunting for another bird. I think that the, the same benefit applies with the site. Subconsciously, you know, you're already seeing it in your peripheral vision. You already know where that bead is. Now you're just looking for a target. And once you acquire a target, you're going to know where your bead is. You're going to be able to put it all together. Uh, I, I, I really can't see there uh, a day when I would want to take, take a sight like that off of any shotgun I shoot moving targets with. I, I just, I don't, I don't see where it would, it would, it would, it would only make my shooting less effective. So now with you saying that, and we're at a retail location and we're in the market for a new shotgun, you said at the beginning of this podcast that part of your responsibility and position at Hive is, is OEM. OEM for those listening is a certain gun manufacturer, handgun, shotgun might come to high vis and say, Hey, we would like you to produce a fiber optic site that we're going to put on all of our guns. When they go to retail, we're going to f- build these guns in our factory. You're going to send all of these OEM sites to our factory. They're going to install them there and it's going to be part of the gun. Is that safe to say that's what OEM is in consumers? They're, they're, they're at the gun counter. So some of these shotguns that they have an opportunity to buy might already have this site on them. Absolutely. Uh, Browning, uh, Benelli, uh, Mossberg, uh, who is Savage. Uh, there's a, a, a host of shotgun companies, just for example, uh, that use our sites, not on every model, uh, but, you know, specific models, some of them on, on more options than others. But yes, there, there are. And then when you get into handguns and uh, uh, other types of uh, offerings, you know, rifles and things, same, same thing. Yep, there's a lot, of, a lot of companies that we work with. So if that's the case and it comes with one on it, is that one suffice? The OEM model, is that what we've talked about for the last hour? Yeah. When it comes to shotguns, uh, only on rare occasion have we made a dedicated site for a company, like uh, for Blazer, for example. Uh, We make dedicated sites for their F3s, for some of their competition-grade guns, which is really proprietary to that gun. Uh, but that's the rare case. Most companies, since we have such an offering of shotgun sights and they're easily attached, that's another thing we should say about shotgun sights is that magnetic sights are sized by rib width. That's the only consideration you need to worry about is the width of the rib. Screw attached sights 
for the most part, are made for ribbed shotguns. So if you got a shotgun with a rib and the bead is threaded, which is almost all shotguns, then you can use any of our sights. That's how universal they are. So you, you can't really make a bad choice. So with the OEM companies, uh, they use, you know, almost every one of our sites, our screw attached sites have been used by an OEM. So, you know, it's, it's just, and they choose them for a variety of reasons. You know, Browning has been using the comp site, like I said, for about 24 years now. Uh, Benelli does also on the Rob Roberts on the waterfowl editions. They use our comp site too. Uh, and, and some of the other companies, you know, use some other choices, but there's still going to be a great site. It's going to be a great product for you. Uh, and it's definitely going to help you more than let's say just a silver or a plastic or, or brass bead. It all makes, it almost makes zero sense for any shotgun manufacturer to ever just produce a gun with just the black or silver bead on it anymore. I would agree. <laughs> <laughs> and we're, well, we're doing our best to try to try to fix that. Yeah, I agree though. I and agree. then handgun, same thing. OEM, right? Yeah, we, we, have a lot of, uh, you know, the major manufacturers, Smith, Ruger, uh, uh, are probably, you know, maybe offer the most variety of our sites on handguns, but yes, there's, there's plenty, there's, there's enough that, uh, and this year has, uh, been a big increase in handgun sales. So, uh, yeah, we have plenty of plenty to keep us busy. You're busy. And then, you know, on our handguns, uh, we offer fiber optic and then tritium fiber optic, which we call our H3, our LightWave H3. Uh, so we also have, you know, we brought it out earlier this year, a LightWave H3 shotgun site. So it's, it's, it's the comp site, the H3 comp site. So it's, of course, they're a fixed color. Anytime you sell a tritium site, it has to be uh, fully assembled and contained. You can't take it apart or, or disassemble it. So it's, it's a site with a green fiber, but it also has a tritium element in it. So you're going to get 24 hour illumination with it. And, you know, whether you're, you know, turkey hunting, duck hunting, deer hunting, whatever, uh, small game, you know, upland, upland stuff, early morning, late evening, you're going to be able to see that too. It's also a great defensive site. You know, how many people just use the same shotgun or, uh, you know, for this and that, and they have it in their home. Do you carry extra magnetic sites on your duck hunts for somebody that might jump in the blind with you? And if so, when you when you start talking about those sites that you can put on in a hurry like that, I love that. That's one thing I love about the Magna Hunter and the in the Birdbuster is being able to get them in a hurry, right? Um, exactly. Yeah. Do you the rib size? What do we have to think about when it comes to the different gun manufacturers? Obviously, I, I love Benelli. I swear by Benelli. Um, but let's say somebody else is shooting another gun that might start with a B or an M, like you've already mentioned. And I'm, they're cuss words to me, so I'm not allowed to say them according to my mom. Um, do, do we have to worry about that? Well, if I hand them one that I, that I know has been on my Benelli before, will it automatically go on their gun? So in... In the modern day we're in, let's say, uh, rib widths, you know, we've seen trends over the years with shotguns. You know, if we go back uh, 20 years, 25 years, uh, especially for some more competition-minded people, sporting clays especially, you saw a lot of shorter barrels and wider ribs. Well, we've trended exactly the other way now with uh, longer barrels and narrower ribs. 
you know, 30 to 34 inch barrels on over and unders is not uncommon. With that, uh, you know, the ribs have, I would say, have less variation. So the Bird Buster is the best choice. The Bird Buster has three frame sizes, so it'll generically fit a quarter inch, five sixteenths, and three eighths rib. Or in metric, it'd be a six millimeter, eight millimeter, and 10 millimeter. What that'll cover is the, like your Mossbergs are basically all three eighths. And then everybody else, almost everybody else is going to be between the quarter inch and five sixteenths. And it really kind of varies. Benelli, for example, you know, you take a, a super black Eagle or super sport or any of those. If they're a 20 gauge, they'll probably have a six millimeter rib. If they're a 12 gauge, it'll be a, an eight millimeter rib. Uh, so it's kind of, you know, and if we're waterfowling, chances are you're probably going to encounter more 12 gauge guns. But yeah, that bird buster is a site you can carry with you. And, you, and I do, I, when, when I go out waterfowling or I go shooting or shotgunning, I always carry extra sights. And of course, I carry magnetic for the reason that you can, we can get a size and get it right on their gun right there. Uh, so that bird buster, that's a great choice to have. Uh, well, and, and hey, things happen. You know, if you have a screw attached sight on your gun, you know, maybe you you snag it in a bolt blind, you know, or something and you really tear it off of there, you know, you or bend it or break the fiber or something. I'm sure you've never experienced any any <laughs> any damaged equipment in the field. <laughs> no, none at all. Just all of it. None at all, but all of it. They 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 are a a necessity in my my blind bag extras my drawer system from deck to my truck extra high visits i swear by them i have for so long though like every i've heard so many comments in the past oh they just i told this to mr field they just pay you to, to say that works i'm like look i am taking the responsibility of taking a life i don't take that for granted i don't take it lightly i truly don't i want to be ethical i want to be compassionate for the animals we pursue i want to be respectful of what we're doing out there whether i'm calling a coyote in at nine feet and we just did it saturday last week a triple with a shotgun i want to respect that animal to the fullest extent of the word respect have compassion for it and dispatch it honorably and ethically and quick no suffering i that's how i've, I've always been taught to hunt I've never been taught to disrespect an animal or say stuff like F a coyote. Uh, coyotes are one of the, the so respectful in my, my upbringing of what they do and how they live and how they hunt and how adaptable they are. So when we do take the responsibility to be a hunter, I've never taken it lightly, Trevor, of, oh, I'm just going out there and killing ducks. It's not just a pile to me. It's a lifestyle. It's a culture. It's a privilege. It's not an entitlement. We are not guaranteed to this privilege. And I want to make sure that we, we fly the flag and we have have a good voice and showing people like hey in my opinion there is a right way to be you don't have to decoy every duck if you're a pass shooter okay but i don't really get into shooting a duck at 70 or 80 yards i want to hone my skill set to call them in and decoy them in and make the water look muddy and ripples on the water and make them get close and comfortable and have that really intimate encounter and shoot them dead in the decoys where their feet are up and the dog brings them back and the high vis site allows me to do that so for somebody to say oh you're just being paid to say that it's wrong it's not the right mentality we have a good voice and a good platform to show people hey shot the experience of shotgunning can be can be so much ele so elevated by putting the sight on your gun and here's why that's all i've ever tried to do showing the culture showing the fun showing the compassion the respect everything that goes into duck camp and the duck hunt 
I've tried to show that, and Hi-Viz has been a big part of that for over a decade. I thought it was a decade. Me and Phil had a little bit of a, 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 a talk yesterday. Of like, it's been over a decade now. So it's not because you guys pay us or pay me to talk about Hi-Viz. It's that I would not take money just to put tell somebody, oh yeah, this makes me a better duck hunter. I wouldn't do that. It'd be that'd be ass nine to me. And I don't. I'm not that person. And it's not like I used Hi-Viz for two years and then said no. I was just kidding. They're not paying me anymore, so don't use Hi-Viz. I've used Hi-Viz religiously on every hunt since I since I discovered the product back in 2008. Yeah, it's it's an important distinction that uh, as as hunters we are the premier conservation. Uh, you know, effectively for for you know other people contribute to conservation, but we really truly care about the preservation and conservation of the animals. So we do want to be uh, ethical and we want to be successful too. And like say, you know, if you're shooting coyotes, you know, we are, uh, everything needs managed. You know, that's part of conservation. We need to manage it, whether it's coyotes uh, or snow geese. Uh, you know, there's, there's certainly plenty of, and you can't re- do it all with uh, hunting either, but that's, that's just part of our, uh, uh, our intimate relationship with the, with the game is that we, we can both appreciate them and conserve them, and we can also hunt them. Uh, but yeah, you, you are just like many others. You know, we've had uh, a lot of competition shooters on our Shotgun Pro staff over the years, and some are still on there, some are not. Some have been on the Pro staff, left, come back. But most of them all still shoot our site. And why do they shoot it? Because it is actually a benefit to them. Uh, you or I... We would not hunt with it. We would not use a shotgun shell brand or load that didn't kill effectively. It wouldn't matter how much we were paid or how much somebody paid you to use their ammunition. You wouldn't do it. So we like to hope that the people that we've worked with over the years and partner with uh, certainly do use it because it's a benefit. And I know it is a benefit to me. 100%. I believe it. Any closing words, Mr. Trevor? Thank you so much for your time. Hive is light pipe technology. We do not shoot at coyotes or turkeys or ducks or geese or pheasants or chucker or any kind of upland bird, quail included, or a snow goose or rough grouse, a blue grouse. I mean, they're all, I mean, we're out west. We got it all out here. We have a lot of opportunity out here, and I want to capitalize on being able to be the most ethical and best shotgunner that I possibly can be. And Hi-Viz adds to that. Trevor, thank you for coming on. Thank you for a great product. Thank you for the education, the instruction, and all the knowledge. And it's great to see your passion for taxidermy taking off. That mallard is about to land on your head. <laughs> Yep, absolutely. Yeah, thank you for having me on. And uh, uh, if anyone needs, has any interest in high sites or wants to know about them, give us a call. We're always more than happy to help people with products and answer any questions. On Instagram at Hi-Viz Sites, you can find them all over the World Wide Web. You can see them exclusively on brand new episodes of the Foul Life TV, <clears throat> airing right now exclusively on the Outdoor Channel. Got a brand new episode coming up this week on Friday. I think we're going to be in the state of California chasing specks and mallards with the great, the godfather, the ill padrino, Rocky Merlo, another friend and supporter of Hi-Viz. We uh, can't wait to see our Hi-Viz family again. Again, any questions or inquiries? about the podcast 
info at thefowllife.com or info at thislifeaintforeverybody.com. Don't forget to check out our brand new podcast series, Where the Payment Ends, Turkey Hunting, Predator Hunting, Big Game Hunting, Ballistics, Rifles, Muzzleloaders, Archery, Shotgunning, you name it, we're going to talk about it. That podcast is hosted by my brothers, Clinton Clay Building, as well as our best friend, Alex Crosby, the magician behind a rifle. The guy is an unbelievable marksman. You can see a lot of his shots on a lot of our social media, chasing those wily coyotes all across the West United States and other parts of Canada and America. I'm Chad Belling, your host of the Foul Eye Podcast. Again, this episode is brought to you by Gerber Gear and our friends at High Viz in Laramie, Wyoming. Check them out and make your shotgunning experience the best that it can be. Tom, hit that button. This is Leith Lofton. This song is called... No- I got that one wrong. This song is by 2AM Logic. It's called My Foul Life. Thank you all very much for subscribing to the podcast. Tell your friends and family. Be safe. God bless.